everyone, and welcome back to Ology's podcast, Training the Modern Workforce Live, a show discussing training and talent development solutions and best practices. Each episode, we'll talk to or we'll talk about a different training topic, and make sure to keep an eye out for special guests and interviews from top training professionals. Uh, with me, as always, I have Colin Forward, CEO of Ology. Uh, for the last decade, Colin has provided major U.S. hospitals and federal agencies with distance learning solutions. He studied mobile technology at the University of Central Florida while earning a degree in computer science and his MBA. And joining Colin this week is Sabina Love, who has 15 plus years experience in the analysis, design, and development of effective training and performance interventions for organizational learning and development. Her desire is to help others create content that is engaging and beneficial to the modern worker. With her master's degree in e-learning technology and design, she has come along the side of small businesses, large corporations, and higher educational organizations to create online programs that work. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about adapting to the new normal of distributed training. We have some great questions on deck already, but feel free to ask any of the questions that may come up in the chat, and we'll get to as many as we can. All right, Colin, over to you. All right. Thanks, Adam, and thanks, Sabina, for joining us. Thank you. Um, so we're having this conversation today because a number of months ago, uh, we reconnected after working together on projects years ago. Um, largely around your expertise in distance learning and, uh, and, and how you help people be more effective in supporting distributed workforces. Um, so to start off, why don't you tell us a little bit about eLearning ID and the book that you put out? Okay, um, eLearning ID, I I've been in the eLearning space um, since 1999 for a healthcare um, IT corporate company. And um, I just fell in love with e-learning. It was the beginning of moving online or um, in-person type training online. And I decided to go get my graduate degree. Um, at that point, I decided to start my own consultancy, e-learning ID. And as I worked with different clients, uh, I tried different methods um, all around the ADDI model, which is um, something in instructional design that we all know. Um, but I found that I liked the agile approach, um, working on a project from the assessment to the design to the development and coming up with the products all at the same time. And so as I was going through that with many of my clients, I decided to write this book because I noticed that a lot of people were putting training together on their own. And um, while I always suggest you have an instructional designer on board, um, I knew people were going to be doing it on their own. And so that's why I created this book and this program. And so, you know, we, we initially started the conversation around um, moving your book onto our product, Capillary. Um, so what can people expect if they, uh, if they download your book or if they go and find the book on Capillary? It works. So the app and the, on Capillary and the book work hand in hand. And it's something that I always tell people too, that training goes beyond the classroom. Um, it's adults, adult learners learn best when they have what they need as far as learning materials right at the task. Um, and so the capillary application does just that. So as they're working through their instructional design process and I take them through that in my book, I have them assess their audience and come up with consistent learning um, look and feel. I have them um, come up with a way to sequence their materials, et cetera. But as they're going through that in the workshop or if they come to one of my classes, 
they can also go to the capillary app and pull that up in real time or what we call just in time learning. Um, so they can pull up those tools as they're trying to create their training. And I, I should probably know this, but uh, just confirm for me that someone listening could find your app on the App Store and Play Store under eLearning ID? That's correct. They can go to the Apple Store and the Google um, Store and they can look up eLearning ID and there they can register for the eLearning ID toolkit. And within the toolkit, they'll find each one of the um, steps easily numbered with a graphic so they know exactly which step they're on and access those tools uh, again at the point of whatever point of the process that they're in for instructional design or coming up with their course. Okay, so is well over the last you know year and a half we've seen a lot of people that have had to uh, grow as instructional de designers they may not even have been instructional designers um, before the pandemic hit. Um, is this book about uh, helping people skill up to develop, uh, you know, uh, that the the new habits and systems that they might need, or is it for people who are already instructional designers and want to take their training to the next level? It's really for both. Um, every instructional designer should know everything that's in this book already, but it's a great review. And it's also a really great um, communication mechanism for them to be able to talk to their clients when they're doing projects and use the tools um, to help them explain how to bring value to their um, learning projects and whatnot. But I really did have in mind a train the trader type um, situation where um, this book was more for um, people who've never made a learning objective before or they've seen um, text bullets that they think text bullets are a good way to present information. I give them a lot of ideas on how to create uh, more engaging content using things like stories and case studies and scenarios, experiments and whatnot. I just give them a lot of ideas. So I help them kind of hop into the instructional designer's brain um, and pick at it a little so that they can figure out um, some, some good strategies for um, putting together a, a better course so that they don't get the response that e-learning is boring or whatnot, but uh, take them to a new level. And I take it even beyond just, you know, people doing a tutorial or presentation and um, help them to understand that training happens outside of the classroom. Um, I'm very passionate about learning interventions and bringing us from a place of just acquiring knowledge to changing behavior. And um, there's a whole chapter in there that shows other ways, things that you can add in addition to training that will help training stick. So obviously very topical, um, you know, a, a lot of folks that we work with as well are uh, trying to figure out how to get up to speed on this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, in some cases, it's because they are, um, you know, they work with hospitals and now they're not allowed to be in the hospital. Um, in other cases, it's because they have a remote workforce that's not coming into the office. Why do you think it took COVID to convince people that this was necessary and helpful? I think this change is hard. You know, I think that we all kind of like to be in our comfort zone and in-person training, um, it's something that feels comfortable. It's something that we're used to. We know how to develop for it. And, you know, while those e-learning tools have always, they've been there for a very, very long time, I've been making 
e-learning for decades now. And, um, you know, it's just, again, like I said, it's not a comfortable place necessarily. And so the kind of simple answer to that is the same as why we all became comfortable meeting virtually and whatnot is because we had to. Um, and so in crisis mode, a lot of people, you know, threw together, they took their in-person training and they tried their best. I think everyone should give themselves a big pat on the back for a job well done. Um, everybody did the best they could with what they had um, to create um, a live online experience that matched what they were doing in person. Um, and now, you know, and I think a lot of people look are looking toward the future and they're thinking, well, I can't wait to get back to that in-person situation. And, um, you know, I think there were even some, a lot of HR departments that were starting to put together that plan on how we're going to bring people back and whatnot. And now with Delta, um, coming our way, um, we're having to look at a different way of doing things. You know, where some of the um, workforce is in the office, some of the workforce is at home, and we're going to need to start grappling with the idea of some sort of hybrid um, type situation. Well, and I mean, I've I haven't been uh, in this for quite as long, but I remember, you know, about 10 years ago being back at, uh, the metal lab at Institute for simulation and training. Mm -hmm. And even then we were trying to get people to understand the value of hybrid training models. Um, so, you know, this, clearly this is just an opportunity for us as, um, people who usually uh, like who use words like pedagogy in, you know, everyday conversation. Yeah, adult learning, which is the, what right. we're mostly focused on here. Yeah, so, you know, for us, we've, we've been advocates for this kind of thing for a long time, but why is it, you know, what is the opportunity for someone who's maybe feeling like, you know, this is an imposition for them, but how can we help them understand that hybrid learning can really advance what they're doing? I think they really need to start looking at the value of e-learning and look at it from a whole. Um, and what I mean is um, in the world of instructional design, we apply something called the Kirkpatrick model, uh, model levels one, two, three, and four. And in level four, your stakeholders or your sponsors are coming up with their key performance indicators around value. Um, say they really, um, they want to make sure that their customer service is uh, top notch. And so they might have a key performance indicator around that. And let's just say they, um, they want their um, customer service people to finish a service request within a certain period of time at a certain level of um, accuracy. And you take that back down to level one, which is reaction and level two, which is knowledge, and level three, which is behavior. And you start to employ some instructional design methods to show value at each one of those levels to that level four so that the manager can see, ah, you know, if, we, um, if we're hitting those marks, we're hitting our numbers, that those training um, materials are actually bringing us value. Um, so for instance, you might do a training on customer service and you're not hitting your number still. And you go back to your level one and you're looking at the reaction and you, you say, what are those questions in a reaction? They're 
how did you like the teacher? Um, was the room comfortable? And in our case, an online situation, did all the technology work? And we need to start turning that to a performance and say something like, um, what was your level of confidence before you came into this classroom on putting in a service request? What was your level of confidence afterward? And you can see a delta. Um, level so, one isn't, yes, go ahead. Yeah, so I, I mean, I'm, I'm familiar with the Kirkpatrick model. I, I don't know that all of our viewers might be, our listeners might be. So just to review it kind of quickly and, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, level one might be say, did you like it? Did you enjoy the training? Exactly. Level two might be, did you learn something? What was the, the outcome of the training? Um, level three, did it have a business impact? Like you said, does it change behavior? Right. Um, and then level four is more of like at the admin level, what was the ROI? What's, what's the impact to- Well, and that's a slightly different model with the ROI, but um, at level four with Kirkpatrick, you're wondering if there was an impact on the organization. Did you reach those goals, the, um, the organizational goals? Sure. So I, I guess I say it that way because in, in previous conversations that you and I have had, uh, you help me tie these levels back to the stakeholders in training and uh, where their priorities lie. So, you know, if we think about the learners, trainers, instructional designers, and then the executives who a lot of the times are the decision makers, the people making investments in these trainings, a lot of the times those those roles match up with the different levels that we're doing that Kirkpatrick value. Especially if they're working together. So if you have your sponsors and your stakeholders communicating very well what their key performance indicators are to the instructional designer who is um, coming up with the classroom and the classroom experience where they can prove that knowledge was acquired um, and then also add that behavior, um, those level three, um, making sure you have job aids and um, mentoring afterward and whatnot so that training will stick. Um, you're showing value all the way up to level four. Um, but at all, at all, all of those stakeholders that you just named, um, let's say, for instance, for the learner, you mentioned the learner. Um, if the learner walks away and they don't have the confidence to do the, their job because they didn't get the proper training or they um, aren't satisfied um, after they've left, you you run the risk of losing talented employees. And there's a huge cost tied to that. And that's just one level you know, that we're looking at um, for our learners. Yeah, I, I, you, you, you said something, you had a quote that I really liked, and I don't, I don't know if it was an original, but you said that, um, you know, this big investment that people make in in-service training, it's a lot like buying a, a new car, because as soon as the learner leaves the classroom, the, they've started forgetting things and the value of the training is greatly reduced. It's so true. You know, they come to training, you spend all this money putting this training together. And a lot of people think of training as that couple of hours that you're sitting in the, in the classroom um, and whatnot. And so, yeah, you spend all this time and all this money, get the trainers um, up to speed and whatnot. And then the second they walk out of the classroom, they start forgetting. And um, there's a psychological principle around this, um, which tells us that your the forgetting curve starts to go into place and it's 
exponential. Um, and what you wanna do after you've left the classroom or what an instructional designer or a stakeholder of the training wants to do is to make sure that there are learning um, assets and things employed after the training is over. You need to be sending out newsletters or emails or um, just in time little training snippets or job aids. Um, you should be doing some type of um, mentoring or coaching. All of those things help bring the forgetting curve right back up so that you're not losing that value on the training as you said, like with the losing value on the car as soon as you hop off the lot. Well, and, and I'll tee you up here. What about before the training? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, before the training, um, make sure that when your people are coming to the class that they know how to access materials, they might even go look through all the materials before they come. So they have rich questions when they show up and they're not just trying to figure out what is this handout. Um, right now with things like... Um, all the WebEx, Zoom, all the big ones, MS Teams, where we're using um, those type of uh, platforms to do live online training, you know, send out a tutorial on how to use that so that that's not a hurdle, um, you know, going into a breakout room or whatnot. They should know how to do that. And same with the trainer. There's um, definitely some proficiencies that need to be um a level that you need to get to with your trainers so that they're also not stumbling through the technology. Well, let me ask you about that because I think everything that you just said makes the value proposition for hybrid training models really clear for an executive and an instructional designer. But what does this mean for trainers? Are they going to have to up their game in order to de deliver the same or better quality of training than when they were used to the classroom model? I think that um, the skill set for trainers has always been moving. You know, and a lot of times we have subject matter experts who are coming in as the trainers, and it really does help to have an instructional designer come right beside a subject matter expert and help them along with things like using the tool and coming up with good materials so that their um, unconscious competence doesn't fall into um, play where they're talking to their class and everyone, it feels like a fire hose because um, everything's coming at them way too fast. And so I think as an instructional designer, it does, or as a company, you should have people coming beside your subject matter experts who are usually doing the training um, to help them level up um, on those skills. And again, I don't want to bring it back to my book, but um, I do have checklists in there too for the subject matter experts. So they can identify, am I um, teaching with some unconscious competence and unconscious competence, meaning um, they're so they're so good at it. They're such an expert that it becomes automatic. They don't even know necessarily um, that they're missing steps because those things are so automatic to them. Right. And, and that kind of person is probably better suited as like a part of the instructional design process, maybe not the person doing the, the direct training? Uh, it depends. I mean, you have high potential people who um, can do both. They can be subject matter experts and they can be trainers. And um, it depends on the topic too. You know, there are some topics that are so um, high tech that you really need some subject matter experts in there to, um, to do the training. And um, 
there's a difference between doing information and instruction as well. So if you want to get to a point of application, you know, where you have authentic um, uh, learning going on, where you're not just um, putting out a bunch of facts, but you're actually having somebody get into a system, say, for instance, that customer service example that I gave, um, they're not going to do really great when they get back to their desk to run a service request through a system if they haven't actually touched the system. And um, that's where a SME or subject matter expert helps because they know exactly how to use that system. And they sometimes just need a little um, help in learning some of those training skills um, or have the training materials um, vetted through an instructional designer so they can go through it step by step without having to think, well, how do I teach this? Um, and so those are some, some good methods um, for making yeah, sure so that trainers, your SME trainers are doing a good job and showing, so again, showing value. I always come back to the right. value piece as well, you know, and in that um, situation, that would be a level two where you're trying to show that the knowledge was acquired. Um, and they, you can, uh, you can design your training in a couple different ways to show that that happened. You can do a pre-test and a post-test and, post and show a delta and knowledge is acquired, or you can go into a, the system that they're in and show um, yeah, they're definitely not hitting the mark here, but then after they went to the training with this trainer, yes, they are now performing that task um, at the level that we, that we put in as our key performance indicator. So from everything you said, it's, it's obvious that um, under this new model, uh, when we're supporting distance or, or in particular hybrid training instructors and uh, instructional designers have a lot of new responsibilities, but that makes me wonder, do learners have any new responsibilities as well? Are there new, any new expectations for someone on the receiving end of this? There sure are. And I think this last year and a half has just been, you know, testimony to that for sure. You know, where people were doing things that they a didn't want to do and maybe still don't want to do, but they're just having to dig in and figure out how to get it done. I mean, you can't just put training on hold for 18 months. You know, I think at the beginning it was a little confusing because you didn't know well, how long is this going to be? You know, do we need to start moving everything online? Um, some things were more immediate where we needed to, to jump in and, and get everything um, put online. Uh, and whatnot. But I think, you know, as a performance improvement consultant um, as well, you need to look at some of the complaints too that people have. And they say, you know, I, I just can't see the um, training on my little screen. It might be time for a company to say, you know, we might need to invest in technology at home that would help them to get over those problems, you know, and by giant monitor so that the, they can actually see the little tiny prints on the, the software that's being demoed or whatnot. And I think um, sponsors or stakeholders are going to need to take a look at the long term and weigh those things because um, you certainly could, during crisis mode, it was um, understandable. But as we go by, um, it went past a year and now maybe even looking at 
part of the workforce in the um, in person and part of the workforce at home, we need to start looking at what's going on um, at home as well and see if we can create a hybrid model that works, you know, so that we don't have in-person and live online type situations. Yeah, it's interesting that, you know, we're talking about how uh, learners have some new responsibilities, but you even mentioned some things that um, the the other stakeholders in this process can do to help them take those steps and, and, and maybe adopt these new processes, adopt new pieces of technology. And so really what we're talking about at that point is change management. Um, it, we're, we're talking about, um, you know, shifting culture, shifting expectations, changing the processes around the way that uh, people do things. So what have you seen uh, that works and doesn't work when it comes to rolling out some of these new programs? That's a good question. Um, uh, yeah, actually, can you say that last part again? Well, so um, you mentioned like getting a bigger screen or, mm -hmm. you know, you know, the, the different things that uh, a that the people investing in these training programs or the people delivering the actual training could do to help um, uh, learners take the steps towards embracing the new way of doing things. Right. Um, so, you know, it's, 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 a, it's like a campaign. It's like a marketing campaign to it your own employees. Like Right, it is like a marketing campaign where you do need to start changing um, some of the attitudes and the desire so that change can occur. Um, I think also we need to start identifying problems. You know, I think when we were at the beginning of COVID, we didn't have a lot of time to go identify what those exact problems were. And so now we need to go and take a, a pivot and take a look at what the landscape has and um, say, are these problems going to continue? And um, are they worth solving, um, especially since we don't know what the future holds? And that at that point, yes, absolutely. Um, you start to come up with a mission um, to change the culture um, and start doing some campaigning around things so that you can let people know, you know, we have email blasts or we have um, virtual posters or even now in-person posters or newsletters, but just to start get the message out there, this is what we're doing. Um, and so, you know, as an employee, this is just going to be a part of the, um, the landscape now. And um, of course, you want to put a nice positive spin on that because it is positive. I mean, we're always moving forward, but change is definitely hard. Yeah, I think the there's a, mis a common mistake that people make that um, they think when they make a change that people are going to appreciate the change and why that change was made. Um, but there's, you know, one part of the campaign, it seems like, is helping people understand the value, helping mm -hmm. people understand the benefit to them as learners and, and as employees, as members of the organization. Um, and then there's also incentives, you know, gi giving them a, a, a bit of a carrot to, um, to to adopt this. So, um, you know, have you have you seen anything that that works especially well on those fronts? Um. Not, I mean, not one thing in particular, you know, I, you said incentives, you know, and I think that's one thing where 
I think managers and um, the and sponsors of training programs um, need to come together and find some um, good solutions to how we can incentivize this new work workplace. You know, um, there was a survey that just went out not too long ago that showed that people would take a pay cut if they could work from home. And, you know, I think that's something worth looking at so that we can, you know, determine, you know, is that an incentive? And then, you know, what does it take to work from home? And um, ultimately what I'm always thinking about is training and how do we um, help people to learn from home and whatnot, so. Yeah, that, that's been uh, a, a kind of an ongoing narrative in in news and headlines recently about you know how people don't want to go back to work and mm-hmm. and um, I think a lot of that is around the their their productivity right and what companies feel like they can get out of employees. But from a training perspective, is that something we should be worried about? So look, I mean training or education has always been morphing. You know, there was the one school, one room schoolhouse, and then, you know, you change and you adjust. And, you know, e-learning hops onto the field um, and you start to embrace all of those different pieces. You know, we might have been accelerated in getting to this point, But I think that this was a point that we were going to get to. I mean, already, you know, colleges have fully online um, degrees and whatnot. And um, I just think that it was inevitable. Um, We just had to move a little faster. And unfortunately, we did a lot of it in crisis mode. And so um, people, I don't think they saw the best of the best of what could have um, been for training. You know, we did a lot of like, just put what we have out online, you know, and um, we didn't have time to make it into really good e-learning. I think now's the time people have adopted um, collaboration um, software, you know, the the WebEx, Zoom is a a household name now, um, MS Teams and whatnot. Now's the time. I mean, we can get over that adoption curve for those um, tools and start to show people how to use those tools for content. And the, the piece that's missing is helping them understand how to create great content for those platforms. Yeah. And so I, I don't want to, you know, give everything away. I know that people can go find your book. They can go find the, uh, the app on the app stores, but can you give us some examples of what you think that what steps people can take to really impress their learners, really get them to buy into these new models? Sure. I think, um, first of all, it's adopting a strategy and so that you can show that your managers or whoever the stakeholder is who's sponsoring the project that you have a clear, um, path to the product. And then I think um, making sure that they understand that it's not just a 45 minute tutorial that you're creating, but that you're, you're affecting the entire learning organization by adding different interventions. And again, in the book, I list um, I have a page of different interventions that you might consider to add to your learning program. Um, and then just getting into the, the heart of the content, you know, not putting people in front of 
bulleted text, you know, coming up with um, valid case studies and experiments and, um, you know, using, using cues, color cues, so that they understand where you are, checklists, people love, adults love checklists. Um, so creating checklists for people so that they understand. And my all-time favorite and um, something I add to every single training project that I do are job aids. You know, making sure that people have those um, assets that they need right there at the task that they're performing. And so to, to really uh, oversimplify everything you just said, what what we're saying is that people can't just take the powerpoints and the pdfs or record a lecture of you know things of the done the way that they used to be done hang them on a website or an app and expect that to go over well it won't go over well no um it's a it's a good way to check off a box you know we did training um but when you go through those four levels and you're trying to prove value um, you're not going to get too many other training projects signed off because you didn't show that you were able to carry that through all four of those value levels. Um, and um, I'm not saying that that's not a good starting point. You know, having a good process in place and having good materials in place from the in-person classroom um, certainly can translate. Um, but you have to go about it a different way. People are not going to sit in front of their screen for hours at a time um, for a lecture. Um, you might do something more like a flipped classroom where they maybe watch a video and then they come to a collaborative space together so they have more rich and engaging conversation and questions. Um, so it might look a little different, um, but it will be um, equally as effective and when you go and you look through each one of those levels and you see ah we so let's go back to that customer service um example you know we we had them watch a, a demo on how to do it and then they came to class and we actually worked through how to enter something into the software they asked very rich questions we did a, an assessment Sure enough, they're able to do it in the five minutes that we said versus the 10 minutes when they came in the classroom at 100% accuracy. And we're, we're um, reporting that back to our stakeholder. Look, there is a delta that's a value um, and it matches your key performance indicator. And then when they leave the classroom, as we said, like the, um, the car that loses its, loses its value as soon as you drive off, they start to forget. Um, especially if they aren't going straight back to their desk to run that customer service request. Maybe it's one week, maybe it's two weeks, three weeks before they actually enter something like that. Um, and they need to do it more than one time. It's practice, 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 practice. And so you start adding interventions where they can um, do simulations. So they're running it um, in between that time. They're watching a little snippet. They're getting coaching so that they continue, you continuously um, bring that forgetting curve up so that you're not losing value from those that training. Well, I, I feel like anyone watching or listening just got a, a free condensed graduate level crash course <laughs> on uh, instructional design for hybrid learning. So um, thanks for sharing that with the audience. And I hope that anyone listening that's interested, particularly um, uh, you know, someone who is finding themselves in a training function that may not have been there uh, uh, in, until recently, 
Um, takes the time to go find the e-learning ID apps um, on the App Store or the Google Play Store, um, or, or uh, can can go find your your book online. So, um, really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today and and share your wisdom with our audience. It was um, it's been a great pleasure. conversation. Yeah, thank you. All right, back yeah, over to you, Adam. Sure. Yeah. Thanks, everyone. Uh, this was Training the Modern Workforce Live, presented by Ology. Uh, if you'd like to explore previous episodes, subscribe to our Ology YouTube channel or like us on LinkedIn and Facebook. And if you'd like to connect with one of our learning specialists to see how Ology can improve your training, uh, head to ology.com and schedule a demo or drop us a note. All right. See you all next time.